Walk by Faith in the Spirit. This is actually a title taken from two important verses. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by the way things truly are, not by the way things appear to be. Sight is how things look, seem, and feel. We do not live our lives based upon how, look, how things look, seem, and feel, but we live our lives based upon faith and what our Father has said and the truth that He's revealed. And then the other part of the title is from Galatians 5 and 25. It says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And this particular passage points to a pattern that we see throughout the New Testament. He establishes that as born-again believers, we now have our life in the Spirit, that, that the, the very Spirit of God lives inside of us, and the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now giving us life. But he says if we live in the Spirit, he spent a considerable amount of, of biblical real estate establishing that we live in the Spirit. But he says since we live in the Spirit, now let's walk in the Spirit. Walking is referring to... Um, your daily life, how you live out your daily life. And earlier to the Galatians in 4.19, Paul talked about the inward realities of their new birth becoming an outward expression of life. The inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. And so when you were born again, you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Your spirit was born again. Now the discipleship process involves those those inward realities becoming a our outward walk or our outward life expression. So that's where the title comes from, Walk by Faith in the Spirit. Ezekiel 33.10 says, How then, ask a question, how then shall we now live? How then shall we now live? The context of this involved God's people going into exile and things changing in their, uh, in their lives and them going before God and asking, okay, how do, how do we adjust the way we go about this thing called life and living given our new circumstances, our new situations, our new conditions? We've brought that question through the blood of Jesus into the New Testament, and I think it's important for us to ask the same question. How then shall we now live? How, how do we need to adjust how we do life based upon what's been given to us and what we've now received and who we've now become as new creations in Christ Jesus. The question has to do with living life on a daily basis given our current conditions and circumstances. Things have changed. How do we adjust the way we live to accommodate the change? And when we say current conditions and circumstances, we spent a good bit of time last week on this. I don't want to go too far down this road, but when we say current conditions and circumstances, we tend to think, what's going on around us instead of what's going on inside of us. And they were saying, look, our, our external living uh, conditions have changed. How then shall we adjust to accommodate what's going on around us externally? For you and me, again, dragging the question through the blood of Jesus into the New Testament, we're asking the question, we're asking the question, um, how then do we now live given the internal change that we have uh, received and what has become true about us now. Remember, you were designed to live from the inside out. Most people on planet Earth are trying to live from the outside in. So here's a new slide. Contentment, I'm convinced, we'll read the rest of this in a moment, but I'm convinced contentment is one of the things people are looking for. 
in life. They're trying to find that, that place of contentment or satisfaction. Think of the, the songs that have been written, uh, secular songs have been written over uh, people's efforts to find that place of contentment, that, that place of satisfaction. Contentment, peace, joy, and rest are all internal conditions of the heart and are not dependent upon external circumstances. All right. I want to like holler that and scream that about 15 times in a row. Let's, let's not do that, but let's go back over it, okay? Contentment, peace, joy, and rest are all internal conditions of the heart and are not dependent upon external circumstances. One of the simple ways to illustrate this is the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is outside in. Joy is inside out. The word happiness comes from the word happenstance. Uh, What's happening around you. Circumstance. What's going on around you. What's standing in a circle around you. What's happening in a circle around you. If the conditions around us are favorable, um, then we uh, are happy. Okay? But if the conditions around us are not favorable, we tend to be unhappy. You see, this is, again, this broken approach to life and living from the outside to the inside. Joy is an internal condition of the heart that is not dependent upon what's going on around you. In other words, you, you can have joy in the midst of, of difficulty, in the midst of challenging circumstances, in the midst of adverse circumstances. Listen to what Paul said about it here in Philippians 4.11. He says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now, there's a lot of important words in this passage, and obviously the word content is one that we've already mentioned briefly, but I also want to point out to you this important word, learned. It was something that he learned. He learned, no matter what was going on around him, he learned to be content. And he goes on to talk about whether he's abounding and, and, and has all kinds of you know, favorable things pouring into his life and ministry or whether he's struggling. Either way, whichever one it is, that he is, um, he is found a place of contentment or keyword again, learned. And this word learned, if you've been around heritage for very long, you know that um, this word from the original language is manthano, M-A-N-T-H-A-N-O, manthano. And manthano is the root word for discipleship. And we see in, in Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come and I will give you rest. Come and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and, what? and you will find rest. So there's a pattern in Matthew 11 where Jesus says, Come and I will give, learn and you will find. Come and I will give, learn and you will discover. You will find rest for your souls. Remember, you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. You are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. When you come to Jesus, he gives you rest. But you then must take his yoke upon yourself and learn from him, be discipled by him, so that he can teach you how to live in the rest that he's already given to you. So that he can teach you how to experience in your outward life expression the rest that has already become a new birth reality inside of you. So many people are asking God to give them things he's already given them. 
they're asking God to do for him for them what he's already done for them. So not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. The moment the Apostle Paul was born again, his name was Saul in those days, the moment he was born again, he received eternal contentment from God in his born-again spirit. He received eternal satisfaction in his born-again spirit. He received the peace of God, eternal peace in his born-again spirit, peace that goes beyond comprehension. The moment he was born again, he received the joy of the Lord springing up in him. I hadn't got there yet, but I'm going to say it right now, okay? Victory, victory is the norm for us. Are you hearing me? Victory is not occasional and rare for you and me any longer. It's the norm. Amen? And you are looking at a man who has victory over audio. Are you hearing me? I have victory over it. I'm, I'm just telling you. Amen. We, it's going to be fixed. I'm telling you. It's, it's, it, amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right. <laughs> Hallelujah. The moment, what did he say? He said it would be like a rivers, not, not a single river, like rivers of living water springing up from within you, flowing out of you. Contentment, joy, peace, rest. The Apostle Paul received all of that, just like you and I, received all of that the moment he was born again, the same contentment that God enjoys this morning, the same joy, the same peace, the same rest that Jesus had. When, when God created the heavens and the earth, what did he do? He rested. He rested. We have received the rest of God this morning. We have received the peace and the joy and the contentment. Jesus said, the things that I'm telling you, the things that I'm sharing with you, I'm telling you these things and I'm sharing these things with you. My thoughts. I'm sharing with you my Father's thoughts. I'm telling you how we look at these things. I'm telling you how we see these things. Why am I telling you how we see these things? Why am I telling you how we think, how me and the Father and the Holy Spirit think about these things? Because if I share my thoughts with you and my thoughts become your thoughts, then my joy will become your joy and my peace will become your peace. Received every bit of that. But then he had to learn how to be content. He had to learn how to live like a free man. He had to learn how to live like a righteous man. It wasn't about him becoming free. It wasn't about him becoming righteous. He became righteous the day he became a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's not about becoming something you're not. Discipleship is not about becoming something you're not. Salvation is about becoming something that you were not previously. Salvation is about passing from death to life. Salvation is about becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's when your spirit is born again. But discipleship is about discovering who you've already become. Discipleship is about finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus and then manifesting that in your outward expression of life. So Paul had to learn how to be content. Listen to me. If you don't have the joy of the Lord inside of you, it doesn't matter how many seminars, it doesn't matter how many programs, it doesn't matter how many uh, credit card numbers you send in the late night infomercials. You will never find contentment. You will never find peace until you find the Prince of Peace and have the Prince of Peace come live inside of you. But if the Prince of Peace lives inside of you, he can then teach you how to live every day of your life in peace. No more anxiety. No more depression. 
depression, no more stress, no more worry, no more fear. What would your life look like if you just like literally could go over and turn the stress and anxiety valve off? You say, oh, pastor, that's, that's, that's impossible. You haven't read the Bible and you don't know my Jesus if you think that's impossible. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. Was Jesus biting his fingernails when the storm was about to sink his boat and the disciples? Was he stressed? Was he, was, was he in, did he break into emergency tongues? What are we going to do? No, he was asleep. He was asleep in the boat. He was at perfect rest. He wasn't afraid. How about this one? When he sent the disciples across and another storm is trying to destroy them. And he goes walking across. See, we, we kind of have this idea that Jesus was walking on a sea of glass. No, he wasn't. He was walking on troubled waters. But read that account very carefully. The Bible says he went walking across on the waters. He would have, listen to me, the Bible says, and he would have passed them by. Jesus wasn't walking to the boat. He was walking to the other side. He was, he was sidetracked from his journey when they called for him to come to the boat. You say, well, what was he just going to let them drown? He wasn't going to let them drown. He told them to go to the other side, and he knew that his word, go to the other side, was enough to keep... You couldn't have sunk that boat. You could have shot a cannonball through the bottom of that boat and not sunk it. Because Jesus said, go to the other side and I'll meet you there. And that was exactly what was going to happen, and he did not get stressed one bit. So we've said this, walking by faith in the Spirit means living your life with a constant awareness of who and what's inside of you. Walking by faith in the Spirit means living your life with a constant awareness of who and what is inside of you. And the more aware you are of who and what is inside of you, the less affected you are by what's going on around you. Has anybody grown enough in the things of God yet to to experience what I'm talking about right there? Are, do you, are you fully understand what I'm saying right now? See, one of the things that, that I talk to you about often is that sometimes our, our growth is so gradual that we don't realize we're, we're growing until we find ourselves in a similar situation that we've been in in the past, and yet we're responding better. We're responding differently. Things that used to stress us out aren't stressing us out or not stressing us at all anymore or very little anymore. You know, it's, it's, it's a progressive thing. We're growing up into Jesus, right? Are you with me? Things that, that used to just absolutely just blow your, you know, stack. You'd get so angry and frustrated and all sort of stuff. But now all of a sudden it's like same thing that used to just drive you nuts. Doesn't even, you just go to bed and go to sleep. Don't even bother you anymore. See, that's what's happening. The more aware you are of who and what's inside of you, the less affected you are by what's going on around you. That's why Philemon verse 6 says, Acknowledge every good thing that is in you. But Satan is betting on you responding to external circumstances without ever acknowledging internal realities. Now, I asked you this question last week. We're going to work on this part a little more this morning. How many times... Did the disciples respond to a new crisis like yesterday's miracles never happened? How many times did the disciples respond to a new crisis? And in some cases, the new crises were, the, were identical to ones that they had already been through and, and, 
and, and experienced miracles and were victorious over. And yet here comes another storm and they're in a boat and they're panicked again. Here comes another large crowd of people that need to be fed and they have no idea how they're going to feed them. Acted like feeding the multitudes, you know, just a few weeks ago never happened. As a matter of fact, when it, in John 6, when Jesus is walking, I think it's Luke's version of this, when he's walking across the water after having not only fed the multitudes, but the disciples took part in the performing of that miracle, they panicked, and it says because they did not yet understand the miracle of the loaves. And you think, well, what in the world does turning a little boy's, you know, multiplying a little boy's lunch to feed thousands of people, what does that have to do with Jesus walking on the water? Because in their minds they should have realized that if he can take a little boy's lunch and feed thousands of people, then what's the big deal about him walking on water? He said, are your heart still dull? Is, is, your, is your understanding still, still dull? So one more time, how many times did the disciples respond to a new crisis like yesterday's miracles never happened? And it's so easy to judge them while we do the same thing ourselves. Now I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, no, help me see this better. Help me communicate this better. What, what is up with this? Why, why did this continue to happen? Because it's continuing to happen today. And this is what the Lord told me. He said, yesterday's miracles did not change the pre-programmed operating system determining their response. What's the question? How many times did the disciples respond to a new crisis like yesterday's miracles never happened? Jesus said, it's because yesterday's miracles didn't change the pre-programmed operating system that determined their responses. Their minds... I have in parentheses, I'll just put it up here. This is notes, but amen, it's okay. Their minds, their mental operating system processed and categorized the miracles as anomalies, as something that deviates from what is standard, normal, or expected. Listen to me now, please. You've got to get a hold of this part right here. Please, 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 please. Holy Spirit, thank you for helping us. You believing with me this morning? Are we going to get out of this what he wants us to get out of this? Take away from this what we... What, what he wants us to take away from this. Right, this is really, really important. This is going to help you, okay? Again, let's, let's, I want to, I'm, I'm being real deliberate here. I'm being very intentional here. But I want to make sure you understand this, okay? The disciples took a little boy's lunch, gave it to Jesus. Jesus blessed it. Jesus then divided that little boy's lunch uh, in 12 portions, handed it to the disciples. The disciples then went and fed 5,000 men plus women and children perhaps 15,000 people that, that those 12 men fed that day. And every time they broke off a piece of fish and handed it to somebody, there was fish in their hands. They experienced that miracle. They participated in that miracle. They weren't just witnesses to it. They participated in the performing of it. Are you seeing this? Then they get in a boat with Jesus, and whoever was supposed to pack the lunch that day forgot to do it. And they panicked. Because nobody has any lunch and they're going to go hungry. And Jesus is like, I almost picture him like putting his hands on his head. It's like, why do you not remember the 5,000? Do you not remember the 4,000? 
Why do you reason among yourselves and still come to a conclusion of lack? Why, why do you, after having experienced what you've experienced, after having seen what you've seen, after having been a part of what you've been a part of, and yet now here we are on another day where we need food, and you think, I'm going to let you go hungry. Are your hearts still hardened? Are, 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 are you still not seeing it? Are you still not getting it? Why were they not seeing it? Why were they not getting it? It's because their minds, their their mental operating system, it processed and categorized the miracles as anomalies. What is an anomaly? An anomaly is something that deviates from what is standard, normal, or expected. In other words, they saw it, they witnessed it, they participated in it, but what they thought was normal, what they thought was standard, and what they thought was expected never changed. It never changed. In other words, it's like, okay, wow, this is cool. Wow, this is amazing. Guys, we've never seen anything. Give me a high five, dude. Can you believe this? I mean, they were so excited about it, right? But their mental operating system simply categorized it as something that can't be explained or something that is amazing, something we are so thankful we got to be a part of. Your mind can do all kinds of crazy things if you allow it, and especially if the enemy is trying to pull the strings and manipulate it, right? So what never, quote-unquote, dawned on them is that Jesus was setting a new standard. Jesus was establishing a new normal. Jesus was showing them these things multiple times because he wanted that to become what they expected moving forward. But they didn't see it that way. They saw it as an anomaly. They saw it as as just this unique thing that uh, happened and, and they were thankful for, but it didn't change the standard, it didn't change the normal, and it didn't change the expected, at least as their thinking is concerned. Okay? Now... <clears throat> Hey man, I'm just going to give you this. I, I was going to try to give you some background story on this, but this is, I really, so I sometimes say it this way. <clears throat> I'm, just, I'm not even going to say that. I'm just going to put it up here. Okay, praise God. All right. Mind. I'm wanting you to, we need to understand something about your mind here. Okay. And so this is, this is how the Lord showed me to show it to you. Okay. Think of your mind as mental impulses now determining. Okay? I'm going to explain this. Mental, meaning of the mind of thought, internal thinking thoughts. Mental impulses now determining. Impulses, impulses, are spontaneous inclinations to act. Keyword there, spontaneous inclination to act. A response without reflection or meditation. Automatic response that comes from Decades of programming through life experience, programming through life experience, line upon line, line upon line, just like a computer programmer programs a computer, just like a computer program write, programmer writes software, 
a line of code after a line of code after a line of code after a line of code that is then installed onto the hardware of a computer that produces the same response time and time and time again. Okay? So mental impulses, meaning thoughts, things beneath the surface, things in our mind that lead to a spontaneous inclination to act. A response without reflection or meditation. Surely you've lived on planet Earth long enough to know that not everybody does things the way you do them. Not everybody responds the way you respond to them. And in the same way that you think the way they're responding is is weird or different or wrong or whatever, they look at you and think the same thing about you. Now, what we say about this sometimes is what comes naturally for us, an automatic response that comes natural. Again, it's a spontaneous thing. We, we, re, we are inclined to act spontaneously based upon, again, a program, a mental operating system that has been uh, built into our minds for, for, in some cases, for decades, reinforced by life experience for decades, which leads us then to this spontaneous inclination to act, a response without reflection or meditation. In other words, we don't even consider it. We don't even think about it. It's, it's like, you know, we're, we're pre-programmed to respond. So certain stimuli, certain situations in our environment, certain people look at you a certain way. Some people cut you off in traffic. Some, you know, in other words, all these different things that, that, that happen around you, right? And, and we've responded in the same way so many times, so many times, so many times that we now respond without reflection. We now respond without thinking about it. It comes natural to us. It becomes automatic. Are you seeing this? Mental impulse is now, present tense, now, determining. To determine means to cause to occur in a particular way. To cause to occur in a particular way. The decisive factor controlling the outcome. The decisive factor controlling the outcome. So the, the, the thoughts, the, the, the mental part that determines or that, that produces, I guess we could say, the spontaneous inclination to act, to respond without reflection or meditation, this is what's currently determining the way things occur in your life. This is what is, is currently now determining, the, it, it, it is the decisive factor controlling the outcome in your life. I hope you're getting what I'm putting down this morning, Okay. Holy Spirit, thank you for helping us. Now, now watch this. They witnessed the miracles, even participated in performing them, but their current operating system rejected the miracles as standard, normal, and expected. It wasn't that they, it wasn't that they didn't process what they saw. They processed it, but they processed it with a processor. Amen? You understand what I'm talking about when I, I'm using computer terminology now? But they processed it with a processor and a, and a, and a program uh, a, a mental operating system that that prevented them from seeing miracles as becoming normal, miracles as becoming the new standard, as miracles becoming something that should be expected. Do you see now why Jesus and John the Baptist and, and his own disciples and then the first 70 missionaries were all told to repent for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand? 
Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does this mean? It means the kingdom of God is at hand means miracles are now the standard. Miracles are now the norm. Miracles are what we should be expecting. And not just when Jesus was on this earth as a man. It should be the standard for us today. It should be the norm for us today. It it should be what's expected today. Remember what we said. When it changes, the way you see it must change to keep up. When God changes the, the way something operates here on the earth, if you do not upgrade your operating system to accommodate the change, you're going to be left behind. And this is a classic example of, of what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and me today about this. I'm trying to show it to you from the Scriptures. The, the disciples are witnessing miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. But every time, no matter how many they see, no matter how many miracles they participate in, no matter how many miracles they witness, no matter how many times they watch Jesus perform a miracle or how many times they cast out a demon themselves or lay hands on somebody themselves and see that person change, every single time their current mental operating system, their current mind is categorizing all of that as an anomaly. So this is why they get in a boat with no lunch and they think, well, we're going to be hungry today. Because they don't see supernatural multiplication of food as the standard now. What do they still see as the standard? They still see lack as the standard. They still see not enough as the standard. They still see trying to scrape to get by as the standard. That is their current mental operating uh, system. That is, that is their go-to. And so notice when pressure is applied to them, squeeze a ketchup bottle, ketchup comes out. What's in the heart in abundance is going to come out of the mouth. And so now that they're being pressured by a boat trip with no food, because everybody knows food tastes good on a boat, amen? Bologna sandwich never tasted better till you're out on the water in a boat, right? And so they're probably excited about a boat ride with Jesus, have Jesus all to themselves, enjoy a nice lunch along the way, and then that dawns on them. Nobody packed a lunch. Jesus is going to go hungry. We had one job, keep him fed, and now we don't even have any food to feed him. What in the world are we going to do? We're just a bunch of, whose fault was it? Now notice strife starting to get in there, anxiety starting to filter in, issues are starting to rise up. And, see, I'm, I'm talking about them because it's easier to talk about them than it is to talk about me and you like something like this never happened in your minivan or in your toyota or corolla or whatever it is that you drive on the way to church with your family right where the enemy's trying to bring in the strife and the and the frustration and the this and the that and get our minds elsewhere you see when it changes the way you see it must change to keep up so what's changed Miracles has gone, have gone from rare, abnormal, and unexpected to standard, normal, and expected. What has not changed? What has not changed is the way the disciples see miracles. When it changes, the way you see it must change or you'll be left behind. So what's changed? What's changed is miracles were once very rare. Miracles were once very abnormal. Miracles were once very unexpected. But they're not rare, they're not abnormal, and they're not unexpected anymore. They have become the standard. They have become normal. They have become now what should be expected. But what has not changed? The disciples do not see miracles this way I'm going to add a, throw them a bone, yet. Okay? All right, now watch this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. See, if we're not careful, thank you, Lord, for helping me say this correctly, okay? If we're not careful, 
we will view blessing, we will view our lives being blessed as rare, abnormal, and unexpected. Instead of the standard, normal, and expected. Now, which one is it? Are you, are you, well, Pastor Mark, you know, you never know what God's going to do. Well, it would have been nice if he had written a book so we could know, wouldn't it? And he just so happened to have written one. I've learned so much from Brother Copeland over the years, but one of the greatest things he ever taught me was this. Are you ready? He said, you're not blessed because you're healed. You're healed because you're blessed. See, we, we experience something good from God, and we go, man, I'm so blessed. Look at what God did for me. I'm so blessed. No, that happened in your life because the blessing of God is upon you. When you were born again, Jesus came and lifted the curse off of you so that the blessing of Abraham could now come upon you. I am a blessed man. You are a blessed man. You are a blessed woman. We are a blessed people. Blessing is not rare for you and me. Blessing is standard. Blessing is not abnormal for you and me. Blessing is normal. Blessing is not unexpected and so thankful when we see it. No, blessing is expected. We should expect to be blessed. We should expect to prosper. We should expect to increase. We should expect to walk in health and healing. Now listen, I know some of you, this is rubbing you raw. Some of these, some of you, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure. But see, what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to expose and root out a, an operating system that is opposed to what God is trying to do and produce in your life right now. Let me show it to you in another place in Scripture. Let's go to Luke 16. Victory is not rare for me. Victory is the norm for me. Victory, living every day in victory is the standard for my life. It's the normal. It's expected. Things working out for me. Come on now, do you expect things to work out for you? Well, Pastor Mark, you know, nothing ever works out for me, but I'll just, you know, the good Lord, one of these days, you know, my number's going to go. No, see, again, see, we... Too many in the body of Christ view the favor of God being upon them and things working out for them as rare, abnormal, unexpected, but oh, we're so thankful when it does. Why? It's because your current operating system, mental impulse is now determining, your current operating system Even when God blesses you and and you experience a manifestation of his blessing in your life, even even when the the good things of God, uh, you know, things do work out for you, things do go your way, however you want me to say this so you can relate to it, right? We still tend to look at that as the anomaly. Well, you know, we just got a big bonus at work, but, you know, we, we we better put this away for a rainy day. What are we looking at? We're looking at financial increase as the anomaly, but the rainy day is the standard. See, 
See, because prosperity is the new standard in our lives, guess what else becomes the new standard? Generosity. Are you rarely generous? Is generosity kind of, you know, an abnormal thing for you? Do people who are close to you, when they witness you being generous, or they go, man, what has gotten into her? Are you following me? What has gotten into her? My goodness gracious, I've never seen anything like that. See, they see that as rare, as unexpected. Oh, sweet Jesus. All right, can we take a little bit more? Can we take a little bit more? Yes, yes. I need you in on it with me now. Listen, this may not feel like it, but we don't go by how we're feeling. We're getting somewhere this morning with this right here. We're exposing some things right here. Amen. Amen. According to the scriptures, those who pass to power are those who expect upon Jehovah. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I'm not going to go back through the whole explanation, but he's literally talking about those who expect. Are you expecting more today than you can produce on your own? See, the disciples only expected what they could produce on their own. They only expected what money could buy. And they had the money to feed the people, but they didn't have any inventory to go purchase. So their expectations weren't any more than what they could produce themselves. Anything outside of that was an anomaly. Anything outside of that was rare. Anything outside of that was abnormal. Anything outside of that was unexpected. Luke 16, verse 27. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Now let me stop here for a moment and tell you what's going on. Praise God. Jesus told us the story of rich man and Lazarus. And we see that Lazarus was a, an impoverished, he, he was a beggar, rich man, had all these things. But the thing that, that Lazarus had that the rich man didn't have was he knew God. And so when they both died, we see that the rich man went to a place of torment, okay? Some people debate whether that's Gehenna, Hades, all these different things. But he was somewhere where it was really hot and it was miserable and it was tormenting. And Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, which was the holding place for saints who, who, who died in righteousness. And they, they were held there until Jesus came and preached the gospel to them. And then they were born again. And matter of fact, the Bible, if you read it carefully in Matthew, we see that there were people seen alive on the streets of Jerusalem uh, that had been dead for years. So Jesus brought all of them back from Abraham's bosom with him. And now paradise is no longer in Abraham's bosom, but it's in the third heaven uh, where God the Father and the throne of God is. And there's a lot of teaching there that I just skimmed over the top of. But the bottom line is now <clears throat> the rich man is crying out for Lazarus to come dip his finger in the water and, and put it on his tongue. And Abraham explains to him that there's a gulf, a separation that can't be bridged. In other words, going back and forth doesn't work. It can't, it can't be done. And so then the rich man says, well, send Lazarus back from the dead. Okay, send Lazarus back from the dead so that he can warn my brothers. Because he knew, he had five brothers, and he knew that all five of them were going to join him where he was if something didn't change. And so he says, send Lazarus back 
to warn my brothers. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And you think, man, Abraham being kind of kind of rough here, being kind of kind of uh, uncaring here. That's not true. Verse 30. And he Abraham said and he said, I'm sorry, Lazarus, the rich man said, "No, Abraham, no father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent." Remember what repent means? Repent means a new condition of mind, a new way of thinking, a new way of looking at things. Okay? Let me say this, if one comes to them from the dead, their mental operating system will change. What they think is standard, what they think is normal, what they think is expected will change. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. When I was a much younger man, I would read this right here and I would go, you know Jesus, I... I'm down with everything you have to say, but that part right there, I know it's right, but pardon me, sir. If I saw somebody raised from the dead, I would believe, see. And we have this tendency to think that, right? And, 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 and there's a lot of reasoning for that, but that's your, that's your mental faculties, your brain saying, well, if I saw that, my heart would be convinced. But you don't believe with your head, you believe with your heart. Your head and your heart are two separate things, okay? I'm not going to try to go down that road too far. But some of the key words here are the words hear and persuade. Hear and persuade. He said if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, what is he talking about? He's talking about the word of God. That was the Bible that they had in those days. They had Moses and the prophets and, and, and of course, the prophetic literature and poetry uh, in, in the Bible. He says if they won't hear the word of God, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. Well, we know what Romans 10, 17 says. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We also know from Hebrews 4 and 12, stay with me, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and is concerned of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I know I read that really fast, but what I'm wanting you to see here is that when he says if they will not be persuaded when they hear Moses and the prophets, then they will not be persuaded even if they visibly, with their sensory perception, see someone raised from the dead. Because what will their minds do based on what we've learned so far this morning? What will their minds do with that? Their minds, even if they saw somebody raised from the dead, their minds in their current state would categorize that as an anomaly. Their minds would categorize that as an amazing thing that perhaps no one on planet Earth has ever seen before or very rarely has ever seen before. But again, uh, that has nothing to do with me. That has nothing to do with God. That has nothing to do with God in me. Okay? But what does have the power to persuade? This word persuade here is very important. It means convinced and it carries with it the idea of change and movement. A change in one's thinking. A change in one's mental impulses now determining. A change in the way we see things. It implies movement from a previously held position to a new one. If I'm convinced that something is orange and someone persuades me that it's not, notice they have moved me to a new position. They have moved me from thinking that it's orange to now thinking that it's red. That's a very simple, maybe lame example. But that's, that's the concept of, he says again, 
if they will not be persuaded by the living, powerful Word of God. Because what is the Word of God? The Word of God is truth code. The Word of God is to our born-again spirits and minds what computer programming is to the computer on your desk. Seeing or even being part of a miracle is not the same as receiving new lines of truth code to reprogram your operating system. Stand with me this morning. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the name of the living God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to go back to this one for a moment. If there are things in your life that for whatever reason you hadn't seemed to try to come up with yet haven't changed or transitioned or, amen, I don't know what is, we're all growing and because we're all growing, we're all dealing with some situation or challenge that we've already been given victory over and we're just learning how to walk in that victory, okay? But I'm asking you to get alone with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God and ask Him to expose and root out mental impulses now determining whatever it is that you're wanting to see change, that you're wanting to see different. There is some spontaneous response Let's, let's go back to it for a moment. The disciples, Jesus is like, why can't you see? Why can't? And they're like, what do you mean why can't we see? We, we, helped, we picked up 12 baskets. We saw it. I'm sure they were, called, they were so defensive. Why? Because when we're talking about something that's spontaneous, something that, that flows from us without reflection or meditation, something that comes natural to us, something that we can't see any other way, right? unless the Lord... Unless the Lord shows us, amen. Now, one of the themes of this year has been significant shift. Anybody remember that? And this is one of those key areas where, Father, again, we've experienced gradual change in this. Sometimes so gradual that it's imperceptible until we find ourselves in a traffic situation and rather than blowing our horns and waving with one finger, we're actually pulling over and let two more cars in front of us. I'm like, wow, man. Peace, joy, love, mercy, kindness, fruit of the Spirit manifesting in my outward life reality. Praise God. I must be growing after all. That's a beautiful thing. And there's no substitute for that. So thankful for that. But the word of the Lord for us, for those who dare to believe it, is not just a gradual, incremental shift in 2023, but a significant shift. We see in, in one instance where the Bible says Jesus unlocked their understanding to see, know, and understand the mysteries of his kingdom. Where all of a sudden they went from blinded to it to seeing it clearly. And I'm sure they were going, this is what he's talking about. A new reality. Mental impulses now determining this operating system that is being transformed through discipleship. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for this time together this morning.
Thank you for answering questions for us today, Holy Spirit. Thank you for for showing us, um, literally pointing out to us things that we need to open our hearts up to you and allow you to help us with. The world says things, Father, like you don't know what you don't know. And, and, and Father, we, on our own, we all have blind spots, but the Holy Spirit even sees things that are to come. And, and His desire is to show us things that, that are coming that we don't know anything about. So how much more wrong attitudes and mindsets that we don't know and can't see in our own hearts and minds now. Father, for too long, your people have considered lack and barely enough the standard, the norm, and it's become the expected. I pray, Father, that one of the significant shifts you help each one of us make is to realize, Father, that that we are sons and daughters of the Most High. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus that we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And Father, for those truths to become the persuading, determining, convincing factor in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our mental impulses now determining, Father, that, that we would not see abundance as rare, abnormal, and unexpected. But that we would we would see abundance as our birthright. That we, we would see abundance as the standard, as the normal, as the expected. Father, we expect things to work out for us because you cause all things to work together for the good of those who love you called according to your purpose. Fathers, we, as we go our separate ways, we thank you for your hand upon us. We thank you that we're taking things with us, Lord, that's going to help us, that's going to help you help us in the week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you're loved. If nobody's told you that this morning, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for being here. You have a great rest of your day. We'll see you on Wednesday, if not before.